Matthew chapter 1 this morning. Matthew chapter 1. We'll start reading in verse number 18. One other announcement I noticed I had outlined in my Bible I wanted, or in my bulletin that I wanted to make this morning, and that had to do with our upcoming baptismal service. Please read that announcement as well. And uh, if you have an interest in following the Lord and believers' baptism, and let me tell you who that should be. That should be anybody who's trusted Christ as their Savior and has not yet followed the Lord and believers' baptism. That should be you. So uh, if that's you, then I encourage you to think about that. and Get with me, and we'll talk about that. Baptism is coming up in the month of January. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, I tweaked my title again. I want to speak to you this, this morning on our wonderful Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated, God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Father God, thank you for your word. Speak to us now as we look at this familiar text. Help us to get another glimpse, just a fresh glimpse, of just how wonderful our glorious Jesus is. And we pray it in his name. I want you to concentrate with me this morning on verse number 21. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. These words came to Joseph uh, in a dream. An angel of the Lord, in verse number 20, appeared to him in his dream and told him these things. Now, notice it says, an angel of the Lord here. We've been talking a lot in our previous series about the angel of the Lord which in the Old Testament is usually a reference to a theophany or a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. But this is an angel, uh, as we would think of an angel. And so the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream, and the angel needed to say the things that he said to Joseph because Joseph was having bad thoughts. Joseph had decided or was deciding that he was going to put Mary away. In other words, he was planning to divorce her. Now, it's important to understand that marriages were... uh, handled differently in uh, New Testament Israel than they are handled today in our culture in the United States of America. Marriages were arranged by parents. A contract was drawn up at which time the couple was considered to be legally married from the moment of that contract. They were referred to as husband and wife. However, they did not move in with each other yet. They did not live together. They were required to remain living with their parents for another year. And this was a proving time. It was a, it was a time of proving the purity and faithfulness of the couple. Should, for example, a pregnancy occur during that year, well, that would be grounds for an annulment. It would be evidence of the impurity and faith, unfaithfulness of either one or both of the couple. If, however, at the end of the year no such unpleasantness had occurred, 
then the, uh, the groom would go to the bride's parents' home, collect his bride in a grand procession, take her back to his home. They would consummate their marriage and would live happily ever after as husband and wife. Well, with that bit of background in mind, you can see why Joseph was distressed and thinking of putting Mary away. For during that year of separation, during that time, before they had come together, she was found to be pregnant. And so before he did anything rash, before he actually did end the marriage, an angel appeared to him in a dream and gave him some instructions. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And as I thought about that particular verse, I mean, we've, we've read it, we read it every Christmas. It's so, so uh, familiar to us that we could all quote it. But as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I see at least three wonderful truths about Jesus in there that we need to talk about this morning. Three. The first one is he had a wonderful beginning. He had a wonderful beginning. She will bring forth a son. Now, no other had such a beginning. Only Jesus was born of a virgin, and that's what's being discussed there. I know Joseph was thought to be the father by all who were there at the time. Other than he and Mary, no one else would have been privy to the situation. And everyone else assumed he was the father. He assumed the role of an earthly father. He raised the Lord Jesus Christ. He provided for him. He trained him in his trade as a carpenter. Raised him in his home, but Joseph was not Jesus' father. Actually, from a human perspective, Jesus had no father. Verse 18 tells me that his father was the Holy Spirit of God. And that fact, the fact that which we, we usually refer to as the virgin birth of Christ, is seen clearly throughout what Matthew wrote to us here in this account. It is stated very plainly in verse number 18. Before they, that is Mary and Joseph, came together, that is, had physical marital relations, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. The angel also made it very clear in verse number 20. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Further, it is implied in the way he described the impending birth in verse 21. She will bring forth a son. No mention of the father. And that would have been very strange in the culture of the day, mention of the woman without the father. The implication the angel was making was that she would be involved in this thing, but Joseph would not. Matthew had even earlier than the passage we read, he had alluded to the virgin birth of Christ in his record of the genealogy. How many of you, when you read Matthew chapter 1, skip past the genealogy? Most of us do. It's tedious. And we get tired of reading all those names, but there's some wonderful truths there. He listed the record of the genealogy of Christ all the way back to Abraham and uh, all the way up to the birth of Christ. Verses 1 through 17, in every case and in every generation, he mentioned the Father as having begotten the Son. But notice in verse number 16, when he got to Mary, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. No mention of the Father. There is no mention of Joseph begetting or being the father of Jesus, only that Jesus was born of Mary. Yes, she will bring forth a son. Jesus had a wonderful beginning. His mother was a virgin. His father was the Holy Spirit of God. It's wonderful. And the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? I ask because the virgin birth of Christ is not an optional part of this story. Do you believe it? I I fear that just like 
you know, many who name the name of Christ struggle with certain uh, supernatural aspects of the gospel. I think there are many who struggle with this one too. It is a supernatural aspect of the gospel. It's not something that can be explained by the science gods, little g, of our age. It's something we must accept by faith. It's something that's plainly taught in the Bible. It's something that we believe because we believe the Bible is God's word and the Bible says it happened. It's not optional. And it's a matter of settled theology. Many rounds of discussion have been had uh, down through the history of the church as to whether or not the virgin of birth really happened or whether or not it's really important. There's an old argument that you might even have documented somewhere in your study Bible, depending on what you're you're holding this morning, an old argument uh, that has been put forth from the beginning of time, I think, against the virgin birth. Those who want to discredit this wonderful beginning of our Lord point to the fact that the Hebrew word in Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, translated virgin, can also be translated young woman. It's true. And, and so they say, as a result of that, we don't have to believe that there was a virgin birth. She's just a young woman. But here's the problem. There's some simple facts that help us with the truth there. That, ver- that word translated virgin in Isaiah 7:14 can indeed be translated either virgin or young woman. But it's almost always translated virgin. That's normally what it means. But that's not even relevant, because we don't really care what Isaiah meant. We're reading Matthew. And Matthew, and the word that he used in Matthew, is a word that cannot be translated any other way but virgin. And so Matthew clarified for us Isaiah's meaning. It's simply not possible to remove the virgin birth from the story. Jesus had this wonderful beginning. Warren Wiersbe wrote this. He said, every child born into the world is a totally new creature. Creature, But Jesus Christ, being eternal God, existed before Mary and Joseph or any of his earthly ancestors. If Jesus Christ were conceived and born just as any other baby, he could not be God. It was necessary for him to enter this world through an earthly mother, but not to be begotten by an earthly father. By a miracle of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was consumed in the womb of Mary, a virgin. My Jesus had a wonderful beginning. He had an earthly mother and a heavenly father. He's born of a virgin. So I ask you again, do you believe it? You might not outwardly to appear pious to all those around you, but do you, do you really believe it? Do you really believe it? And I submit to you that you need to because it's a key component of the gospel. And if you're struggling to believe the virgin birth, you just haven't truly grasped the significance of who Jesus Christ is and was. Your understanding of the gospel is flawed. You need to think about it. You believe it. The virgin birth of our Lord Jesus Christ is one of the most wonderful truths that we celebrate at Christmas. It's mentioned all throughout Scripture. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is born will be called the Son of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And then, of course, the last few verses we read. Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name. Jesus. A few years back, a movie simply entitled The Nativity Story was produced. 
I think since it was produced, I have tried to watch it every year since because I just it's one of my favorite Christmas movies. We all have probably Christmas movies that we like to watch every year. I just think it's a beautiful telling of the events of Jesus' birth. It's not perfect every time the three wise men come walking across the screen or the three wise men show up at the manger. I think, okay, it's not perfect because that's not correct. But nonetheless, it's, it's a beautiful movie, and I recommend it. There is a scene in that movie where Mary is visiting with her cousin Elizabeth. Cousin Elizabeth is great with child, and Mary is little with child. And they're standing in a field, and they're talking to each other in this one particular scene, and all of a sudden Mary grabs at her tummy, and she says, Oh, he kicked. And then Elizabeth says, Oh, mine kicked too. And then in the next scene, you see that they're both standing there with their hands on the other's baby bump, just laughing with joy at the thought and feeling these babies kick. And every time I watch that, I think that would be a cute scene in any context. It's a wonderful scene in any context. If everything was natural and normal and wonderful, it's a glorious scene. But think about the ramifications of it in this context. That was God that she was feeling kicked. I'm just astonished at the thought of that. She will bring forth a son. You need to believe it. It is a necessary component of the gospel. And I submit you need to believe it because it will increase your joy at Christmas time, at the glory of the story. He had a wonderful beginning. Well, something else is wonderful here. He had a wonderful beginning. He also had a wonderful name. You shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. The name means Jehovah saves, or Jehovah is salvation. Many in our world and our culture only use that name as a curse word or to swear. Some in our world, and yes, some even in our beloved America, really have no idea that it is truly a name of a person who really lived, much less the person who died for them, the Savior, Jesus. Have you ever considered the names in the Bible given to Jesus? There are so many. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the Anointed One, the Messiah. He is our Prophet, our Priest, our King. He is our Savior, the only wise God. He's our Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is the Lord, the Almighty. He is the Door of the Sheep, the Good Shepherd, the Great Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd, the Shepherd and Bishop of our Souls. He is the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. He is the Logos, the light, the light of the world, the light of life, the tree of life, the word of life, the bread that came down from heaven. He is the spring which, if a person drink of it, he will never thirst again. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He is our rock, our bridegroom, our beloved and our redeemer. He is the head over all things, which is his body, the church. And that's just a few of the names given to Jesus in the Bible. But of all those names, is there anyone more wonderful than Jesus? I can't think of one. Jesus. It's a name that flows so easily from the tongue. Jesus. Say it with me. Jesus. You were the Word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord Most High, your hidden glory in creation now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. He has a wonderful name. Say it with me again. Jesus. Jesus. He is the mighty king, master of everything. His name is wonderful. 
Jesus, my Lord. Bow down before him, love and adore him. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages. Almighty God is he. Bow down before him. Love and adore him. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. His name is wonderful. Say it one more time. Jesus. He has a wonderful beginning. He has a wonderful name. Finally, he has a wonderful purpose. He will save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus did not become flesh and dwell among us simply because he uh, needed a vacation from heaven and wanted to come to earth and look around a bit. That wasn't it. His coming through the virgin birth of Mary was uh, not simply a pleasure trip. He came with a purpose, a wonderful purpose. He came to save his people from their sins. I know it's going to get quiet in here for a minute now because we're going to talk about a word that none of us like. We don't like to think about that word, that little word, sin. But it's the reason Jesus came. That word translated sin is a word that means failure. It means failure to obey God's law. John the Apostle wrote that sin is lawlessness in 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 4. The disobedience of God's law. Failure to obey God's law. And Matthew said here, the angel said here to Joseph, that he came into this world to save you. To save me from our sin. It's a word that's understood by few and accepted by even fewer. In a culture that has rejected any aspect of absolute truth, and substituted a whatever is real to you is real worldview. Uh, There's just no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as absolute truth. The idea that God, who gave us an absolutely true law, which we cannot live up to even on our best days, well, that idea is just unacceptable to me. But it is true. The law that God put forth as our standard is laid down very succinctly in Scripture. Let me share it with you. You can, you can read about it in its entirety in Exodus chapter 20. We often refer to it as the Ten Commandments. Think about it for a moment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Can you honestly say that you have kept God's law? Can you honestly say that you have never lied? That you have never hated another? Because, you know, Jesus said in the New Testament that that thou shalt not murder. If you've hated somebody, it's the same thing. Jesus equated the two. Can you honestly say that you've never looked at another person with lust? And yet Jesus did the same there. That thou shalt not commit adultery. No difference between that and lust. In our day of pornography and and filth that is around us today, who can say that they're not guilty of that? Can you honestly say you've never stolen or desired something that was not yours? Can you honestly say you have no idols in your life? Nothing that you elevate above God. Nothing, even for a moment of time, that is more important to you than God. Can you say that? And of course you can't. I can't. And even if somehow you think that you're, 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 you're guiltless uh, with most of those, you, you might even be able to make a case for, for nine of them, I suppose. 
But I guarantee you, you can't keep that first one. You shall have no other gods before me. All of us violate that command. Probably most of the time, we worship idols. Some worship sports. Some worship money and power. Some worship career. Some worship family. Some worship recreation. Some worship this morning in our Sunday school class. Sister Sandy was sharing her outline for our little assignment we had in our Sunday school class this morning, and she mentioned motorcycles. That one got me. Some worship motorcycles. You can fill in the blank, whatever it is. We have idols, don't we? We're all guilty of sin. The violation of God's law over and over. The Bible makes it clear to us. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. They have all turned aside. They have together become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not one. There is not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among men. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Sin is real. Sin is your greatest problem. Sin is the cause of all that is wrong and evil and ugly in our world and in our lives. It is a problem we cannot solve. It is a flaw we cannot fix. It is a danger dooming and damning us forever. So Jesus came. Jesus came with this wonderful purpose. He will save his people from their sins. Jesus came in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. He was raised by Joseph and Mary. He grew into a man. He was 30 years old when he began his earthly ministry of preaching the good news of the grace of God and the salvation that he offered. He called men and women to become his disciples, to follow him. And then he died on the cross, a sacrifice for sin. His death, there a substitution. He died in our place. He died in my place. He died in your place. His death on that cross would be what would save his people from their sins. And then he made that salvation complete by rising from the dead three days later. Oh, my friend, this Christmas I encourage you to think through these things. To keep them front and center in your heart. Focus on what the angel said to Joseph there. Let nothing distract you from the certainty of it. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He had a wonderful beginning, a wonderful name, and a wonderful purpose. And I encourage you while you're thinking about that to think about something else, too. You see, while the Bible is clear that Jesus did all the heavy lifting, that he is the one who saves us from sin, that his death and resurrection is the means by which one is forgiven and by which one receives eternal life. It's also clear there's something you and I need to do. We talk about that a lot here, don't we? You need to believe it. Do you? You need to receive it. Have you? I wonder if you ever had a conversation with God and admitted to him that you are a sinner, that you have violated his law. Have you ever come to the place where you knew that sin was a wedge between you and God? Have you ever come to the place where you knew you were lost because of your sin? Lost 
and without hope because of your sin? Have you ever come to the place where you realize what Jesus did for you and ask God for the salvation that Jesus is holding out as a free gift to you, even now as we speak? You must do these things. You must believe. You must receive, or you remain forever lost. In just a few days, packages are going to be opened. Many packages are laying under many trees right now, and in just a few days, they'll be torn apart. And much joy. The shoeboxes that were filled in this church, 1,015 shoeboxes that went around the world to various places will be opened, and there'll be much joy at the receipt of those gifts. Imagine for a moment that I'm holding out a gift to you. Imagine that I've done one of my spectacular wrapping jobs on that gift. It's beautifully wrapped. It's got a perfect bow on it. It's got a little label on it with your name in beautiful calligraphy. And I hold it out to you. I'm offering it to you. It is your gift. I have a big smile on my face as I offer it to you. I want you to have it. And you look at it. And you look at me. And then you turn around and walk away. Did you receive the gift? Is it your gift? The answer is, of course, no. You must receive it or it is not yours. And the same is true of salvation. If you have not received the gift, then it is not yours either. And you remain lost. Oh, listen, there's nothing more important this Christmas than to think about this. You need to call upon the name of the Lord today and be saved. You need to believe these things about the Lord today. You need to receive him as your Savior today. Ask him for the gift of salvation that he's holding out to you. Has your name on it. And all you have to do is take it and receive it, and it will be yours. It is a wonderful, wonderful Jesus that came to the earth Christmas Day, bringing sunlight of peace and rejoicing to drive all the shadows away. It is a wonderful, wonderful Jesus who claims all our lives for his own. Let him reign in our hearts, ever glorious. Receive him and crown him alone. Father God, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for the glorious, glorious story of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for his wonderful birth, his wonderful name, and, oh God, his wonderful purpose. And I pray today now as we close our service with a song, that if there's anybody here who has never yet believed and received Maybe they're still confused about exactly what that means. I pray that as we sing, they'd step out, come to the front, let us pray with them, explain these things to them more fully. Or if they're afraid to do that, I pray they would just, right where they are, talk to you about these things. I pray, Lord, they would pray and ask you to to make it clear to them. I pray that they would confess their sins, recognize their need of a Savior. They'd pray something like this, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know I need to be saved. I'm not sure I even understand it all, but I believe you died for me, and I receive you now as my Savior and ask for the gift of salvation that you died to give me. Father, if there's anybody who needs to pray that way, I pray they would. Whether where they stand or here at the altar, I pray they'd pray it. And I pray, Lord, for Christians today. That, Lord, we got a little glimpse today of just how wonderful is the birth of our Savior. And I pray, Father, that we would rejoice and be encouraged as we think through those things. As we sing, Father, help us to do business with you if that needs to be done. We pray it in Jesus' name.